0: You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, welcome to episode 1391 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Monday evening into Tuesday, and I want to encourage you, as always, to make your first listen each and every day to the Locked on Hawks podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Odyssey app, Google Play, also YouTube. Wherever you get your podcast, please subscribe to our show and check us out each and every day. With that out of the way, this is actually going to kind of be a part two of two on this Monday into Tuesday. If you missed it, part one should be available in your feed right now. It is episode one three nine zero with everything from Hawks Heat on Monday. If you missed it, by the way, that was a really good win for the Hawks. So I encourage you to listen to that podcast to break it all down. And uh, part one into part two is the way to do it on this Monday evening. But on this show, we're going to go back a little bit later to a uh, nice win also for the Hawks on Saturday up in Toronto. I uh, two times probably a couple times a year max. I don't have a podcast right after a game, and that happened on Saturday. Um, so we'll have a uh, breakdown of that game at the second half of this podcast. But first, at the top, some organizational stuff with regards to some reporting that's out there from the AJC, as well as a transaction that happened in the last couple of days. So we're going to start there. And the second half of the podcast will be a, uh, my thoughts quickly on Hawks Raptors from Saturday, if you are going to enjoy that kind of thing. So first, uh, the, AJC, the AJC at the top, I'm going to just tell you now, I recommend firmly reading in depth both the, the co-byline piece from Lauren Williams and Christopher Moore of the AJC on the organizational issues, and also a Q&A from Lauren on both Landry Fields and Kyle Corver. By the way, the Hawks finally announced today on Monday Corver's promotion to assistant GM on Monday. So that was uh, it was already well known and well reported, but now publicly official. And there were some quotes and all that stuff. Press release was sent out. All that in sort of conjunction with the interview they gave to the AJC. It felt like so. Um, the, the AJC also framed their reporting in the organizational issue piece from Chris and Lauren. Uh, they talked to people from inside organization and outside, all anonymously and wrote that the picture painted is a, quote, franchise again in turmoil, end quote. Uh, If you listen to this podcast for a while, that shouldn't surprise you. I talked about the issues that were reported by Sam Amick before that, about the Travis Schlank stuff. I've been passing this stuff along for weeks now. Uh, Basically, the vibe's not been great in the front office. That's not a secret. I encourage you to listen to the archives, read what I wrote on Patreon, all that stuff. But it's been out there, nothing like out of the ordinary about the tenor of this reporting necessarily. But, um, you know, being local resources, they have good history with the team, all that stuff at the AJC, et cetera. There were some things, though, that have either not been reported widely at all, or that uh, that I even didn't even know about. So, I'll start with the layup here, and that the AJC reported that the Kevin Herter trade was quote a move made solely to prevent the Hawks from reaching the luxury tax end quote. Um, if you've listened to this podcast for a while, you will know that I've been saying that since July. So that's one of those things where I can take a vic- I guess a victory of, that of some kind. I was telling everybody that was motivational that was uh, financially motivated back then, and uh, that's I think been firmly. Known at this point in time but another piece of uh of reporting on that to indicate that is definitely the case now the thing that i genuinely did not know not even reported anything behind the scenes was this was was the following so i'm gonna read what they wrote here about an issue that happened in the playoff series last year during miami i guess miami i should say quoting now from ajc the relationship between travis Schlank and trey young has deteriorated over recent months issues began following game two of the playoff series with the heat last year. In the return to Atlanta, young chartered a a private flight and did not inform the team. According to some people familiar with the situation in the middle of the playoffs, young was fined End quote. So uh, this is definitely not a normal thing. I saw some, I think probably, probably Trey young fans saying this is like a normal thing. This is not a normal thing at all, especially uh, to have anyone chartering a private flight during a playoff series is not normal. And then the thing that takes it over the top is that not knowing the, the team not knowing about it. Like, Guys are on the flight and during the playoff series. You're on the team flight, et cetera. If there was a special circumstance or something like that, maybe they would make an exception for that. But if the team didn't know that's that's not good. That's that's some that's a weird thing. I don't know if that was like a situation where there was a miscommunication or whatever, but that's not a great situation. So uh, also, I will remind you that Trey was awful in that series. And, uh, you know, that's just maybe that's separate or whatever, but it's probably didn't help matters that he did not play well in that series. And they, of course, they they lost it in five games, et cetera. So. Uh, that's a weird one. And I didn't know about that. I'm not sure what it tells you about the future or the past or anything like that, but it was out there and they reported it. So there you go. Also, um, they reported that ownership mixed a trade last year of John Collins, who I'm quoting them, quoting from the agency now was seen by some organization, not to fit the current style of play of the Hawks End quote, um, Of course, I don't love that characterization about the style of play. That's not that That, That's just the way that people talk about it. I think it's probably due to the offensive fit, et cetera. That's nothing new there. But I've heard about the trade being mixed. I don't 100% know what the deal actually was. So I can't report that without actually knowing it. I'm not going to speculate without actually knowing. I have heard a few variations of what the deal could be. But no matter what, it doesn't matter now. Um, The thing is, though, with an owner that has a reputation for meddling in basketball decisions, this is not a great data point there as well. If you've been a Hawks fan for a while, you might remember that Tony Ressler basically admitted to squashing a trade that involved Paul Millsap five or six years ago on the record. That's happened. I've heard it's happened even a time or two since then with Tony kind of throwing his body in front of a deal. Now, it's not great to have an owner that won't leave his basketball basketball people alone. I will say, though, the owner is the final say on big moves. That's that's how it is in a lot of organizations. Like, would it be great if an owner stayed out of the way entirely? Sure. But uh, it's not out of the ordinary to have the owner be these final stamp of approval. But him just kind of nixing trades that are not like money related is not great necessarily. So anyway, it's tough to walk that line. I wish I could get into like specifics, but we don't know what the deal actually was. But I'm, this is not a surprise to me at all. But at least it's you know this is kind of firm and important that at least at least one deal from Collins was blocked by ownership. Um, on the name McMillan side. Fields and Corver, in their interview with the AJC, uh, denied this, which is important context, but they reported that an, an agent of a player was told that Nate would not be back with the Hawks next season. Just flat out told that. Now, I will say, basically no one in the league that I have talked to, with the Hawks, around the Hawks, across the league, agents, whatever, no one thinks Nate's going to be back this year. Now, that could change if something were to change performance-wise, if the Hawks made a big run or whatever, but it's something different between expecting Nate to be gone and flat out telling an agent that he'll be gone. Now, that's a, that's a fine line to walk, but that would be a notable thing that happened, which again, Fields and Corver denied this actually happened. But there you go. I've not heard anything directly like that, but I, again, I've said before this, I don't think Nate's going to be back next year And when something happens or something changes. Uh, I'm not going to go out and say that it's definitely done, but if I had to guess, and I have said this before, I would certainly uh, have an educated guess that he won't be back with the organization next year, but we'll see. Um, on the Nick Rustler front, I've talked about Nick Ressler a few times on this podcast um, before this Emmett piece last week, even before, you know, after it, of course. Um, nothing new about that in the reporting in general about him having a big role anyway. They didn't really deny that he has a big role. Uh, I'm actually going to read part of a quote from Landry Fields. Again, read this in the AJC as well to get an idea of what he said on the record. I'm going to read this part of the quote. I'm going to leave a lot of the context out, but there you go. Uh, quote from Landry Fields now. As far as Nick, Nick is a part of our day-to-day process. He's a voice in the room that we value both of Kyle and I do and that whole group. When we're trying to come to a decision on anything from the players in the room, just how how we're operating as a group. And for me personally, as a decision maker, I love diverse thought, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. And Nick, he is a part of that. He's a voice. He's been here five years now. He's seen a lot of different things. He's seen, he has done a lot of stuff with our business side as well, but in terms of like basketball operations going to be part of the room and we welcome that and we embrace what he brings to the table, end quote. So, Landry later on in the interview with Lauren also said that it was un- an unfair character characterization to Trey young and Nick wrestler for saying those guys are close. And some of the reporting there, I don't know about all that and that having an impact on, on stuff, but uh, certainly not a denial. Nick Wrestler is, is a prominent piece of organization. Now his title does not really, yes, he's, a, his, his title is a voice in the room title. I'll say that, but it's not a prominent voice in the room title. Generally speaking, the way that it's been framed to me and the way that it's been reported by national outlets, Local outlets, et cetera, is that Nick Wrestler has more influence than someone in his job title would normally have. That's something that I've heard repeatedly. Now, is he the decision maker? I don't, I don't know about that. Uh, I think you know, obviously, Landry Fields has a bigger job title, uh, but you know, being being the owner's son is kind of a different situation. Now, Kyle Corver is the clearly defined number two on the pecking order after his promotion today. So, all that said, Wrestler. There was no denial of him having a, a big voice, um, but there was some pushback on him, like being, you know, the puppet master was the way that was the way that Landers Landry described it. Um, other stuff that was sort of miscellaneous in there um, again by the way that's kind of all the big all the big stuff nothing crazy nothing earth shattering but again a lot of stuff in there like especially the q and i think is really really interesting also for p- people to read also the organizational piece from chris and lauren has really good context and good history in it people should definitely know if you're if you're a new Hawks fan especially that stuff would be uh, good good to set up, kind of kind of wade through I know there are a lot of diehards that know this stuff already, but if you are a relatively new Hawks fan, that would be great to go and check, check out stuff, that stuff as well from the AJC. Anyway, uh, last couple of things here on what was reported, um, at least from the, from the Q&A, there was some talk from Landry and Kyle about being a player-driven organization. Um, there's been some reporting by Jake Fisher that the Hawks want to hire more players as well, but just kind of uh, you know focusing more on the player. And it's not a coincidence to me that both Landry Fields and Kyle Korver are former players. Uh, obviously, you know, different problems think different ways but a lot of front offices at least uh, top 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 guys front offices are not former players and the hawks now have a number one and a number two who are former players that's not that's a pretty interesting wrinkle for the hawks um i just i should say former nba players not you know most got most people played at some level that are at the high levels but there you go um also no surprise here at all to end this thing but they denied any notion of regret about the DeJounte Murray trade. Uh, that's a good question to ask if you're Lauren, but you have to know the answer. It's going to be what the answer is. They're never going to say, yeah, we actually regret that. Um, but they're also, they doubled down on building around Trey and DeJounte together. There was of course, no world in which they were going to say anything otherwise, but that's notable as well in there. But again, one more time, AJC.com and uh, AJC, Lauren and Chris Fieldmore, and all that stuff. Last thing before we get to the game between the Hawks and the Raptors is that the Hawks actually waived Jarrett Culver on Saturday. Um, they have not announced this. It was reported by I believe it was Woge, and then confirmed by the AJC that they're gonna sign Donovan Williams to a two-way contract in Jarrett Culver's place. They at least uh, as of this recording on Monday evening have not signed Donovan Williams. He's not on their roster yet, he's not on the College Park's roster yet. We'll see. Um, the plan there, I assume, is I heard the same thing. Donovan Williams is gonna be a part of the organization. He's not happened, that's not happened just yet. So no matter what, Jarrett Culver, obviously a two-way guy. A prominent player as a former lottery pick but on a two-way it's not out of the ordinary at all for two ways to cycle through culver's offense is the problem you know he played very well when he had a, a sort of a small stint um when they had some injuries but as he played more and more teams were reminded that jared culver has issues with his shooting and he could be sagged off of and ignored a lot of time on offense that makes him tough to play also he's an older guy he wasn't like a one and done in college he was around for a while also has been around the league for a while Donovan Williams is much more of a developmental piece. He's 21 years old. Um, he played at both Texas and ULV in college, uh, kind of a, you know, a wing player, some, some upside there, shooting well from three-point range in the G League this year. I won't claim to be a, an expert in Donovan Williams, but I've seen him play a few times. Um, intriguing, and I, I think definitely more of an upside swing than Jarrett Culver. So um, Jared Culver gave him some good minutes this year, uh, but nothing crazy out of the ordinary for him to be moving on at this point. Okay, a word from our sponsors now, and we'll come back with uh, a full breakdown of what happened on Saturday between the Hawks and the Raptors. Today's show is brought to you by Prize Picks. If you're looking for a DFS option this year, check out the award-winning app of Prize Picks. Prize Picks is a daily fantasy made easy. I love it, and I know that you will too. It's so very easy to use. I can vouch for that. I've been playing with Prize Picks for quite some time now in the NBA and other sports, and I really enjoy the process. All you have to do is pick two or six players and actually choose whether they have more or less than a certain number of points or rebounds or assists or other stats that are involved over at Prize Picks. And there, you can win up to 25 times the money on your entry. They have all kinds of sports across the board. They have the NBA and college basketball, NFL, they have MLB and NHL, PGA, soccer, esports, and much more. And a whole entry can be done in just a minute or less. It's that easy and it's that quick. Plus, it's against you, against the, against the projected numbers, it's that straight ahead. They also have safe and fast withdrawals at Picks, and they're operating in more than 30 states plus Canada at this point. Download the Prize app or go to PricePix.com. Sign up and play DFS today. First time users can have a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code LOCKED ON. Don't forget to use that promo code LOCKED ON at sign up for instant, an instant deposit match up to $100. Check it out now at Prize Today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. If you're looking for a delicious treat right now and want all the fat and calories that go along with it, you need to try Built Bar today. We just finished the holidays, of course, in recent days, and I really know one, one of my goals this year is to get a little bit healthier. If you're anything like me, you don't want to give up all the taste to eat healthy, and Built Bar is a perfect option to blend the two together. With Bilt Bar, you actually get healthy and tasty in one package. They're so delicious that you won't believe how good they are for you as well. They have 100% real chocolate. Yes, real chocolate on the outside, and they come in a ton of awesome flavors. That includes peanut butter brownie and coconut almond. They taste like a candy bar, honestly, with 130 calories and 4 grams of sugar plus 17 grams of protein. You don't have to wait around right now to get a box today. For a long time, I've been telling you to get all of your Built Bars at Built.com. It's still a fantastic option, but you can also get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club right now as well. That's right. Walk into the pharmacy section of a a local Walmart and grab a box of Built Bars, including a four-bar box of my personal favorite, cookies and cream. Or if you're closer to a Sam's, run and get a 13-bar box. Yes, a 13-bar box at Sam's Club. Make sure to check out Built Bar today across the board, Built.com, Walmart, Sam's, et cetera, and start your new right with Built Bar. All right, and uh, of course this game again happened between the Hawks and the Raptors a couple days ago on Saturday. It was back-to-back, it was a weekend game, etc. And the Hawks have really struggled a lot in Toronto in recent years. They lost by 30 this year. They lost both go- road games in Toronto last year by double digits. Um, they, were, they had injuries, they had no Capella and no Bogdanovich in this one. And then online, our friends over there had the Hawks as seven and a half one underdog in this game. But in the early going, uh, the Hawks basically blew them out of the water at the start. It was 20-3 to Atlanta. In the first six minutes, the Raptors missed 12 of their first 13 shots. That's a pretty wild one. Obviously, there was some help there from Toronto missing shots, but defense was pretty good for the Hawks. They were keyed in early on. And I will say, without Capella, Toronto is a size team that's pretty easy for the Hawks to match up with. A Kong does not get up a ton of size against against Toronto. And it helps also the Hawks shot the ball well. They were 7-10 from the floor to start the game. DeJounte Murray had a huge game on Saturday. He made, he made his first four shots at 10 points in the first eight minutes. Um, rotationally, they actually left Trey in the game, the entire first quarter, which is not the usual thing, but with bogey out, they kind of tweaked that a little bit, Played the whole first quarter Griffin and AJ played, um, in the middle of the quarter, probably a little bit earlier than usual with the injuries that the Hawks had, they played Kaminsky actually for a few minutes, not great to use him in that matchup, honestly, but without, without Capella, I get it. I was trying it didn't really work very well. There was a 10 run by the Raptors to force a timeout late in the first, uh, in the first quarter. Um, The Hawks had some sort of a turnover and had a couple of long rebounds. Toronto was able to push the pace a little bit more like like they want to do. And as a reminder, the Raptors are a terrible half court offensive team, but they excel in transition. And that's where you have to keep them out of if you are the opposition the Hawks did shoot the ball well, though. In the first quarter, they were up by nine at the end of the first. The Raptors did wake up to make their numbers look better after their, after the hideous start, but still, the Hawks played well. I, I definitely had my eye tuned into how the Hawks were going to play without Trey on the floor, especially without Bogey and without Clint. Um, and that much in particular, with but you know, just the way that it had gone for a while now with Trey off, it was uh, a siren for me. But the Hawks did play pretty decently without Trey on Saturday. They're plus one in the first stint without him on the floor. I'd say very, it's a very big win. Um, you know. They had some issues along the way. Um, Jalen Johnson, I thought had a good stint in the first in the first half of Saturday's game. Collins had some foul trouble and that brought Congo back in a little bit quicker, but they they went away from Kaminsky. Probably play probably a good idea there to go more small and versatile defensively. They got a free point from technical foul from Nick Nurse, which is nice to see. And the Hawks were basically in that like up 10 up 15 range for most of the half. And then they were up 12 at a halftime break. They were awesome in the first half offensively. A 131 offensive rating is just ridiculous. Um, obviously. Um defensively, they were just okay. Trey actually, in the first half combined, DeJounte and Trey had 35 and 10, which is usually a good sign. And then defensively, they were just okay. They fouled a lot in that first half. 17 for throw attempts allowed, but the Raptors didn't shoot the ball well and they held them to 10 assists, which was good to see. After halftime, the Hawks show up by 16 early in the third after DeJounte and Trey. Kept it going. They had 44 points with 20 minutes 20 minutes to go in the game. Obviously pretty impressive there. Trey had a short break that he didn't take in the first quarter. He did have it in the third. The Hawks shot up by 17 points at the end of the third quarter. They were not great in, uh, inside the arc. They actually hit five threes in that third quarter. Only one turnover. And the Raptors, shot, the Raptors shot 33% from the floor in the third. There was one run by Toronto, a 12-4 early in the fourth quarter to get the lead down to nine. But the Hawks kind of kept it afloat from there. It was competitive down the stretch. Um, Trey got to the line. In isolation, at one point it was a big possession. They didn't really run much in a typical Hawks fashion down the stretch. But then, actually, I thought Trey did a good job in isolation defensively on Scotty Barnes down the stretch in one possession. That was good. That was good to see. Uh, and then Trey did miss a floater to keep the door open for Toronto. They got another stop. Um, and basically, with the, when Dejounte went in the line with like a minute to go, up seven, it was pretty much over at that point in time. Up by nine, and they were able to escape with the win. So it wasn't like a totally breezy experience, but the Hawks did lead the entire game after the 23 23 run it was kind of like in some ways what happened on monday where the hawks had they were stick to this big lead and they kind of just kind of hung on from there that happened a little bit on, sa- on saturday as well but still uh, a nice win overall they never trailed they were up by at least 7 points for the final 40 minutes of the game on saturday pretty good sign they had about a 115 offensive rating in the game and considering they had a 130 in the first half you could kind of tell about how bad it was in the second half offensively they shot 42% with only six assists in the second half that's a terrible number um did shoot well from the, from the, for the entire game, but they lost the rebounding battle and free throw battle in this game, but not too bad, which is probably a good sign against Toronto when that's kind of how they have to win. But defensively, they played very well. One, a 107 defensive rating. No bogey definitely helped the defense. I will say that. But uh, they held the Raptors to 41% shooting for the game. They did allow 30 attempts at the free throw line, which is probably too many, and only 19 assists, though, defensively, which is good. um Basically played an eight-man rotation in the game. Kind of like they did on Saturday, just different players. They had Kaminsky play the Aaron Holiday ninth man role for like two and a half, three minutes in the first half. Um, Aaron, I thought, played good defensively on Saturday. Only 2-7 from the floor, but I thought he did a good job. Jalen Johnson played very well in the first half. A little bit cooler in the second half, for sure, but gave him good active minutes on both ends of the floor. Um, Griffin made his first five shots on Saturday, had 13 points in 23 minutes. Had some, con- I-, I thought he had some pretty encouraging defensive flashes on Saturday, which was good to see. Uh, Collins had some foul trouble all night long. Was pretty pretty good when he played. He uh, was 5-6 from two. Missed all three from, from three-point range, but defensively was good. Uh, Hunter, only one of five on twos, and had 11 points on 10 shots overall. So not great on offense, but I thought he was really good on defense against on, against Siakam and others on Saturday. Just did a very good job all the way around there. O'Connor was really good again. Not, not quite as dominant as he was against the Pacers in the first win of the back-to-back, where he was incredible. But 10 points, 13 rebounds, and two blocks, and 37 minutes for O on Saturday anchored the defense very, very effectively. Uh, Trey had 29 and nine on 21 shots. That's really good. He was really out of control. Three turnovers, uh, did his job defensively for the most part. Not as good as he was on Monday defensively, but I thought he played well. And then DeJounte had a big game as well on Saturday. Uh, 27 points, eight rebounds, six assists, two steals. He was much more comfortable and aggressive than he was in previous games, I thought. Mason plays defensively. He limited the bad shots on offense, more in the flow of the system, etc. So a really good, complete effort from the Hawks on Saturday in Toronto. And I cannot stress to you, um, even more, any more than I already have, but the Hawks are usually just terrible in Toronto. The game this year, the first one was embarrassingly bad. They were embarrassed. That's the way to put it. And for them to go out there without Capella, without McDonavich against a healthier team on a back-to-back and play as well as they did was really impressive, I thought. So there you go. Um, from here, the Hawks go to Dallas on Wednesday. One more plug about part one. If you missed out on that podcast, I talked about all the all about the Miami game on monday but they'll have a day off to travel on tuesday and then they play a good dallas team on the road on wednesday so that'll be an interesting one it's a national tv game like it was on monday so the spotlight's definitely on the hawks but they could be once again at full strength so we'll see if that holds together in advance of wednesday's game but obviously the hawks are flowing right now 22 and 22 after the win on saturday and the win on monday three games in a row and uh, vibes are good. Always the always on the court, off, off the court, as we talked about earlier in this podcast, not necessarily fantastic, but we'll see how that all affects things moving forward. And the trade deadline looms in only a few weeks. So plenty of fireworks to come. Please subscribe to the podcast across podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, also on YouTube, Google Play, all those places. Follow the show on Twitter at Lots on Hawks. Follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. And we'll see you all later on in the week.